here and I'm coming to you with another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel and we're coming to you today from the Florida Medical Cannabis Conference in Orlando, Florida and I am so fortunate to have today's guest with us. This is a really amazing gentleman and I, I got to tell you a little bit about him. He's a retired lawyer and municipal judge from the state of Ohio, founded an organization called Rethink Green with his wife Jan cannabis research, education, advocacy, and CBD product company. He's also the recipient of the Crohn's Charity Service Foundation Cannabis Philanthropist Award of 2019. He is the one and only former judge, Doug Bench. Thank you so much, Judge, for being here. Doug, for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much. That guy sounds impressive. I, that I guy is impressive. <laughs> you know, any, any judge is impressive who's really decided to start an organization called Rethink Green and I really think that uh, we ought to explain what that means and how you came about uh, or came to this 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 decision. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, uh, I had no intention yes, sir. to get into the cannabis education business. Uh, I was minding my own business. Uh, I was a lawyer in Ohio, became a judge for almost six years, appointed. I, I was never elected, but I was appointed judge. Uh, went back into private practice, uh, was very blessed to, to retire early mm. and uh, moved my family to Florida where it was warmer than Ohio. And through my entire life, I was a prohibitionist. Okay. Uh, as a judge, I put uh, over 300 people in jail for marijuana offenses. Uh, back then in the 80s, we had no choice. It was mandatory sentencing. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Three children living my life, being very conservative. And then in April of 2015, uh, my life changed quite drastically. I was diagnosed with COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, I was a heavy smoker for about 12 years. Uh, also worked at night uh, printing the Dayton newspaper. Oh, wow. Uh, so ran a lot of fumes. Yes. Yeah, I'd, I'd go home at night and uh, blow my nose and be black from, mm. from the ink in, in the mist in the air. And doctor did all kinds of tests, came back into his office, and uh, he said the words nobody wants to hear. He says, is your wife with you today, Mr. Oh. Lynch? I said, well, yeah, she's out in the waiting room. He said, well, you might want to have her come in. So she came in and... Uh, he proceeded to tell us that I had a terminal disease, that uh, if something else didn't take my life first, that w this would end my life. There's no cure for COPD. Uh, I was shocked. Didn't even know what COPD was. I, I think I said something to him stupid, like, is that that disease where that elephant's sitting on a guy's chest in the TV commercials? Yes, yes, that's it. Well... I walked out feeling really sorry for myself. My wife, in turn, was stopped by the doctor. I found this out later, and he told her, you need to get his affairs in order. Uh, at the stage he's at, at the most, 20 months. Wow. And uh, 
And you know, I, I just I, I say wow that way because how dare you know it's, it's really it's it's the same thing that happened to me when I got diagnosed with MS. I mean, this doctor literally told me this is now twenty years ago. Doctor told me you know that I really need to just understand that I'm you know going to debilitate very very quickly, and that you know I may as well start you know figuring out what I'm going to do next because you're going to have to stop working. Yeah. And, and this guy laid out to me basically a death sentence, and I'm thinking to myself, dude. dude Where's your crystal ball? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, but go ahead. Yes. Yeah, well, that's pretty much uh, mm-hmm. my wife's attitude. She said, well, he's got no right to say that. Mm-hmm. How does he know right. that I have 20 months? I mean, if that's an average, there are people that live longer than that, people sure. that live less than that. Well, at the time, I was teaching continuing education classes to Florida home builders. I've been doing that over 20 years in my alleged retirement. Mm-hmm. And... I went home to our horse farm, frankly, sat on the couch and uh, pretty much waited to die, Mm. Uh, feeling sorry for myself, watching the horses out in the pasture. My wife, on the contrary, she, uh, her background was a paralegal researcher, very blessed that she was a researcher. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, at the time, she was heavy into essential oils, which I used to B-I-T-C-H at her about because <laughs> they're so expensive. Mm-hmm. But what she did is she went to the computer um, in the other end of the house while I was feeling sorry for myself. She started looking for an essential oil that could help me with my symptoms. And about four months later, uh, essentially, she found the quintessential essential oil. Mm-hmm. She found out about cannabis oil. And she lied to me. We had a ranch in Colorado at the time as well. Mm -hmm. And she said, "Uh, I'm going to Colorado. There's a conference I have to go to up in Estes Park. When in reality, she was going to Colorado to try to get some cannabis oil, uh, which she did. And uh, she brought it back on the plane, Montel. She was committing a felony that could have put her to to jail for 20 years or more. Mm -hmm. And... She brings that home, shows it to me, and says, I want you to take this. I said, what is that? I said, a a little syringe, no needle, but, you know, a syringe. And she said, well, it doesn't matter what it is, (laughs) because she knew I was a prohibitionist, always had been a Mm -hmm. prohibitionist. I said, what is that? She said, well, it's essentially an essential oil. <laughs> she learned from me how to lie but tell sure. half the truth. Sure. I said, uh, expletive deleted, that's marijuana, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. Get that the hell out of my house and you go with it. That's illegal. <sighs> Very angry. That went on for six days. And this is your wife of how many years at this point? 20. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, that went on for six days. You're going to take this. No, I'm not. That's illegal. I'd never touch that stuff. I put people in jail for that. It's addictive. It'll lead to heroin. I ain't going to take that shit. <laughs> Day seven, Montel. We have a spiral staircase at our farm. She's coming down the staircase with a suitcase. Hmm. And I can tell it's not empty. Wow. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm leaving you. 
I'm going to go live with Molly and the kids. You won't help yourself. I'm not going to help you either. I said, you don't mean that. Now, my wife's a very spiritual person. I've probably heard the F-bomb out of her mouth twice in 20 years. And she said, the F, I'm not. So I took a couple deep breaths and I said, okay, how do I take it? Well, you can take it as a sublingual. I said, what the hell sublingual? I don't know what that means. It's under your tongue. You've got blood vessels that go directly in your bloodstream under your tongue. Or you can take it as a suppository. I said, I'll put it under my tongue. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going to do it during the daytime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know anything about it. Am, am I going to get high? Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't think so. And I, I don't think so. Well, okay, I'll, I'll take it in bed. So that night, I sat on the edge of the bed. She put a tiny little drop on the end of my pinky finger, and I put it under my tongue. And I'm sitting there wide-eyed, looking around like, am I going crazy? What's going to happen? And I looked up, and she was standing beside the bed, and I said, honey, what's going on? Am I acting silly? Am I laughing? Am I being stupid? She said, sweetheart. It's eight in the morning. You just slept eight hours for the first time in over a year. Wow. I said, you're kidding. She said, no, look at the clock. And it was eight o'clock. And I, I swear I had just taken it, you know. Wow. So I said, okay, I'll take another drop tonight. So I took another little drop. Third night, took another one. About five nights in a row. And the wheezing, the wheezing from the COPD uh, is always worse at night. And it was very loud. It would wake me up. My wife bought an air purifier to sit by the bed to kind of drown out my wheezing sound. But after about five nights, I wasn't wheezing as much. I was still really weak. I couldn't walk up the stairs without stopping three or four times. But I thought, well, maybe something's happening here. So I kept taking it. Uh, she made the drop a little bit bigger, uh, about the size of a grain of rice. It's an a indica-dominant hybrid, a concentrated oil, about the size of a grain of rice. After about three weeks of that, I started feeling a little bit stronger. Uh, my wife and I take in rescue dogs and uh, We'd take them out at night before we go to bed, and, and they used to always run up the stairs to get on the bed, you know, get the best spot on the bed. But after I was uh, diagnosed with COPD, they would, I could only do like three steps at a time, and I'd have to stop, and the, the doggone dogs would stop with me. <laughs> it, it was crazy. It's like they knew. Okay, come on, Dad. Uh, but after about four to five months... Well, I got to tell you, after two weeks, I said, I ain't taking this shit anymore. Ah. That's, it, it tastes awful. I don't like it. It, it. I don't really get, I'm not getting the strength back. I'm still short of breath. She said, you're going to keep taking it. Put it on an Altoid or something. Mm-hmm. Well, I had Tic Tacs, so I started putting it on a Tic Tac, and that, that made it a little more tolerable. Well, after about five months, uh, from October of 15 through February of 16, the end of February, I started feeling pretty good. Shortness of breath was uh, dissipating. 
I was even able to walk maybe a quarter of a mile. And I said, make me another appointment with my pulmonologist. I want to go back. I want all those same tests. I want to see. So we go back, have all the same tests. He comes back in with a really perplexed look on his face and says, Doug, I, I, you're asymptomatic. I can't even find any scar tissue. Wow. What are you doing? As he walked over to shut the door. And I was very blunt. Mm-hmm. I said, Doc, I'm committing a felony on a daily basis, and I ain't stopping. I'm getting better. Because it wasn't legal yet in Florida. And he said, well, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. But I cannot put that in your chart. Right. Uh, and he wouldn't. Uh, he put in a chart that I was asymptomatic for unknown reasons. Now, I teach every two years. These contractors have to take 14 hours of CE every two years. And I see about 5,000 of them. And I was getting strong enough again to start teaching. And I told my wife, I got to tell the contractors. I got to tell them my story. It might save a life. And she says, you can't tell them. If you tell them and somebody gets pissed off at you, they're going to the state. You're going to lose your license. Right. And there goes our income. I said, I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to ask for some guidance because I got to tell them. So on April Fool's Day. I took a deep breath and I told these contractors I'd have 40 or 50 in a class and I told them my story and how it was saving my life. Uh, Pretty soon, guys were coming up to me at the break saying, hey, my wife has COPD. Can you help us? No, no, it's unlawful. No, I can't help you. Then they started emailing my wife while they were sitting in my class. I'm sitting in class with your husband right now. My wife has renal cell cancer. Can you help her? No, no, we can't. It's unlawful. After about two months of that, more and more people were asking. Uh, I'll never forget it. In Cocoa Beach, Florida, a big six foot four, six foot five inch contractor, after I told my story, comes up to me, tears running down his cheek, this big strapping contractor. Doug, can you please help our daughter? She has intractable epilepsy. She has 20, 30 seizures a day. Wow. Any one of which could kill her. Now, one of our rescue dogs uh, had seizures, and it, it was horrific. All I could do is see that, and if it's a child, oh, my God. So I took a deep breath, and I said, okay, we'll help you. We took uh, the little girl. She was five at the time. We took her parents to Colorado with us. Introduced him to a doctor friend of ours out there that runs a, a clinic. Uh, wrote three books on cannabis as a medicine. Took him to a dispensary where a friend of ours who owned it, who was in the business because he lost his mother to cancer before he knew cannabis could save her. He's on a mission as well. About everybody mm-hmm. that I've met in the cannabis industry is on a mission. And we, frankly, showed them how to get the medicine back to Florida with the least risk of getting arrested. Sure. She was five at the time. She's now eight and a half, going on nine years old. She's totally off of the opiates that the doctors had prescribed for. And she has maybe one mild seizure every couple of months. 
So I said to my wife, damn, we got to help people. Yes. So she and I started doing webinars. Uh, the first three, four, five, six webinars we did where we'd tell why it was illegal from 1937 on and how stupid that was and about the endocannabinoid system, which I knew nothing about. Right. Uh, my wife learned all of this. We'd maybe have eight, 10, 12 people on these webinars. That was it. But then we switched from webinars to doing Facebook Live sessions. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 people, 100 people sitting in on these things. And I said, we, we got to have live seminars. So we started doing live seminars around here in Florida, uh, maybe one a month, sometimes two a month. And people were just really receptive. And, uh, you know, most of these guys are contractors. They're conservative. They're, you know salt of the earth right don't you tell me about cannabis as a medicine that's evil but uh over the last two and a half three years uh, my wife really has helped hundreds of people uh, uh, one of the contractors had renal cell cancer metastasized his brain three brain tumors he wouldn't call us he was too stubborn his wife called us mm -hmm. we went down to South Florida and met with him and took him and his wife to Colorado with us and let them stay at our ranch because they were afraid to bring it back on the airplane. And he's now totally in remission. His tumors are gone. Wow. Thanks to cannabis. So we started a Facebook page called Rethink Green. You can rethink green. We've got to rethink green. You know, contractors are all the time thinking about building green mm -hmm. and i'm talking about you got to rethink green about yes. marijuana because it's a miracle plant and a medicine until i my life has totally changed three children my youngest son was an athlete my my father was a professional football player and then he became a minister Unfortunately, he was killed in a car accident when I was just a teenager. But my youngest son had those genes. He was an athlete. He played football and had a couple of concussions. So he quit playing football and started playing volleyball and golf. And he got really, really good. And he was on the state championship golf team his sophomore year. Uh, his, going into his senior year, we were getting scholarship letters wow. from colleges. And one day I'm putting the laundry away and in his sock drawer I found it I found a pipe and some marijuana it was 1999 I said son get in here and you know what's going through my mind the dumb son of a you know what is going to lose his scholarship sit down son tell me about this but before you do you're grounded for a month now go ahead and tell me what the hell are you doing this for when you got your unbelievable future ahead of you? And he says to me, Dad, all I can tell you is when I smoke it, my stomach doesn't hurt anymore. See, he had irritable bowel syndrome and colitis. I had no clue that he was telling me the truth that cannabis can stop Crohn's disease, colitis, irritable bowel syndrome. That's why people use it when they're on chemo to stop the symptoms of the chemo. I said, you lying sack of shit. 
you're grounded for a year. His senior year in high school, Montel. Wow. State championship golf team, Dr. Phillips High School right here in Orlando. Couldn't go to any of the parties. Volleyball, undefeated his senior year. Named all state in volleyball. Couldn't go to any of the parties because his old man was such an idiot. So we have made it our mission to share the miracle of this wonderful plant that God put on this earth. I haven't figured out why. He put one cannabinoid that's psychoactive among the other hundred and so that help you medically. And we may find out that, you know, and I think medical research, remember, I, I believe we are, we haven't even tipped the iceberg into yeah. our research that we need to do. And most people don't know that, you know, uh, CBD was first identified in 1940, yeah. 1940, and actually validated in 1943 as being a cannabinoid before we even discovered what THC was. Yeah. So it took another nine years to discover THC, and then really another almost 20 years to validate the fact that it was the what they thought was the cannabinoid that caused a psychotropic effect. But we may now, in the next 20 years, realize that it wasn't just THC by itself. It was a combination of the interaction between multiple cannabinoids that help to modulate whatever that euphoria yeah. is. It was in uh, pharmacopoeia until 1942. Yes. And uh, probably 60 to 70% of the, the populace in this country used cannabis as a medicine before it was made illegal. But I think if, even if you go back before that, sir, I don't know if this may help you a little bit with your with your speeches. You know, America was built on hemp. Yep. If we go back to the 1500s, late 1500s, the majority of people that in the upper 90 percentile of people alive in this country consumed hemp seed porridge every morning. They ate it because we realized way back then that hemp was one of the most protein-laden seeds on the planet. And so people had hemp as a regular dietary supplement every single day. Yeah. It wasn't until, literally, remember, we had every rope, every sail, every every tent. The entire revolutionary army was clothed in hemp fiber. So hemp was a big part of this country. All of our forefathers grew it. Yep. All our forefathers consumed it. There's there's anecdotal you know comments about you know Jefferson talking about the best thing in his life was standing on his back porch smoking a hemp cigarette. Yeah. Hmm, really? <laughs> okay. So when we really look at the value of this plant, it was really ridiculous that in 1937 we passed a bill based on the ability to really get tax dollars out of this plant and that was funded by what a lot of people don't understand William Randolph Hearst and Charles yeah. DuPont who were trying to make sure that we got more tax dollars out of things that are were you know uh, petroleum based and yeah. and wood based so it's been a plant that's been a part of our fiber the fiber of yeah. America and it was just really because of some evil intent that we stop using. And then you take a look at lots of illnesses like COPD and other illnesses that probably we know that COPD is, you know, something that's really an offshoot of the Industrial Revolution. Yep. So, I mean, when we take a look at some of the, the, the illnesses that we see now in this day and age, we wonder why they're so prevalent, but we, we don't understand is that we have, like you mentioned earlier, have completely thrown our endocannabinoid system off. Yes. 
by not consuming hemp that we really, I think, may have done more detriment to the genome of mankind than we even think we have. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. I think that's absolutely correct. And, you know, before 1937, it grew wild everywhere. The the animals that we consume as humans ate it. Mm -hmm. We ate the animals. They now know it's present in a mother's breast milk. But when they eliminated it all, that stopped happening. So we got out of homeostasis. We got out of balance. And when you get out of balance, you get sick. Absolutely. And that's really one of the things that I think, uh, you know, I, I really believe that we are at the just, we're, we're still the Wright brothers pushing a wooden plane down a hill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's going to be another 20 years before we really truly identify, and I think science will also catch up to allow us to identify all the components that are part of this plant. You said it yourself, you know, one of, you know, we know that now there's been identified well over 160 cannabinoids. There may end up being around 300 of them. Yes. And, and, and then once we identify that, then we've got to go back and take a look at their synergistic work together. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Dr. Mishulam, who yeah. stated unequivocally that cannabinoids work in an entourage effect. Yes. And we know they do. So that's the reason why, you know, like right now in the last, you know, three years, because everybody's jumped on this CBD bandwagon. You know, we may be doing more detriment that way than if we look at the entire broader spectrum and whole plant medicine. Yes. Uh, And I I might mention when I started taking a a high percentage THC concentrated oil, I wasn't taking any CBD. There might have been three tenths, five tenths, one percent in the oil. About three weeks into this, my wife, who continued with her research, says, uh, you're going to have to take some CBD as well. And I said, why? And she said, well, it's called the entourage effect. And my recovery from this allegedly terminal disease really accelerated when I started adding. I could imagine. I bet you if if, if, if at the same time you started adding CBG, CBN, you know, THCA, THCV, CBDV, all those other uh, other phytocannabinoids, putting those together in that same mix. And then, you know, again, a lot of people don't know, especially people who are tuning in right here to Let's Be Blunt, but, you know, in the United States of America, we made an effort in the 60s. Growers of cannabis in America made an effort in the 60s to attempt to grow CBD and other cannabinoids out of the plant. We tried to see, and there's still an issue that we've got going on today, where some people are trying to grow strains that have the highest level of THC in them possible. For what? Yeah. They don't even understand that. they're just You're just actually adulterating the medication and removing parts of it that really could be as super beneficial as possible. 
We didn't know any better. Right, right. Uh, and, they, and, now that, and now that we started to know better, it's good that we're having conferences like this and where, you know, we've got some of the, the, you know, the country's smartest experts showing up to lecture on. But I think what we've got to do is come back to an understanding that, you know, we don't know everything. Oh, no. And, you know, because research hasn't been done and the scientific tools of the research haven't been invented to do the proper research, we really should be looking at this as a whole plant medicine. And we know the best medicines come from whole plants. Yes, absolutely. And I, I got to put a plug in for Jill and Dawn because oh, yes. uh, the there are three ways that we can progress on this. And that is education, education, and education. Sir, you, could you say that one more time, please? Because if you tuned in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel, you will hear from the very first podcast I did telling people in this country, you need to understand the biggest problem with cannabis today is lack of education. Absolutely. Education. education. I had a, a seminar. We did one of our cannabis seminars in Naples, Florida, where Jill and Dawn are. They came to that seminar and they got the idea to start this, the FMCC, last year, which they did, which is phenomenal. We spoke last year, and uh, the, the number of speakers they're having that are educating are just phenomenal. Uh, we've gone all over this country now speaking. I'll go anywhere. Same here. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that, that and let's talk a little bit more about this, because especially here in Florida, you know, we, Florida, and I'm, I'm a Florida resident also, I live in Miami, and um you know, Florida has been on this track of trying their best to get past, you know, what they're calling recreational use. Okay, call it which when I call it adult use. And what I really think people should need to understand is that I think anybody who comes to cannabis is coming to cannabis for a medical reason. They, they think they may be coming to cannabis because they want to get high. They might not but, know it yet. But they but might they not are. know it yet. Absolutely. But part of the problem is the fact that, you know, they got tired of an alcohol buzz. Yeah. Yep. So and the after want, effects. And the after effects. And, and alcohol didn't let them sleep well. Alcohol didn't solve the problem that they were trying to solve yeah. when they were looking for something that was a euphoric agent. So now they've decided that they want to use cannabis. Okay, but they may not have even identified themselves what their medical underlying issue is that they're trying to solve. Even if it's a matter of, I just want to feel a little bit better. Well, feel a little bit better is the reason why we do anything homeopathically. Yeah, but yeah, but Montel, you're going to get them addicted if they do that. And we know that there's been study after study after study, and even studies done and funded by the U.S. federal government, which people don't understand that your taxpayer dollars have been funding research for cannabis for now over 40 years. But, I mean, when you look at the fact that research has stated unequivocally that cannabis is not a gateway drug. Exactly. I mean, sometimes, and I, I don't don't say it to you in any aspersion kind of way, but when you look back at your history as a judge and the fact that you had to do what you had to do because you were an official, yeah. you know, in a government job, do you do you question yourself and say, "Damn, I, you know, I put away some people who really I should not have done." Yeah, boy, I've had nightmares about that. Have you? Yeah, I bet, I bet, I, I, I think, but I judge, I will tell you, you are not alone. Yeah. You need to know that you are not alone. I spoke to other judges and people who are other people who are prosecutors who arrested a kid for maybe having, you know, you know, a five dollar bag of marijuana in their pocket, and put him in jail for two years. Yeah. Messed up a kid's life for the rest of his life because he had five dollars worth, four and a half grams of marijuana in his pocket. I was just talking with a veteran the other day that uh, went to Colorado, bought some joints, PTSD, mm -hmm. gave him relief. Uh, he was coming back to a Midwestern state, passed through Oklahoma, got arrested in Oklahoma, 
five to ten years. Three joints. Absolutely, absolutely an abomination. I am feeling that, you know, you look back at ten years from now, five years from now, we're going to be looking back at states that have done this, especially in a country where now over half of the states have some form of cannabis law. To have anybody get arrested these days is ridiculous, but it's also part of, I think, a master plan. I mean, in some states that are still arresting for cannabis, you know, those are some of the states that have the highest number of privately owned prisons. Yeah. And they need to make sure that they've got a steady flow of business or you're going to have one group that's a lobbying group come in and and raise a stink. It's kind of like uh, where we were over the last 20 years with cancer research. Uh, Do they really want to find a cure for cancer? Because there's an industry surrounding, quote unquote, cancer research. Uh, And if we found a cure... All that money goes away. Oh, it's it's also kind of you know when you when you look at the fact that there are so many companies out here trying their best. When we understand, we've known that plant based medicine has been some of the best medicines created in the last twenty years. We still have companies trying to figure out some way to synthesize this plant based. Yeah. yeah. So they want to put money into synthesizing and creating a bioidentical that is not bioidentical because we know that the body doesn't recognize that bio-identical. So we're spending money on research that really should be spent on finding out what the truth is about the true plant-based medicine. One of the uh, side effects of THC is it stays in your system, your body, for up to 90 days. Well, there's a reason for that. Your body craves it. Well, and your your body, body uses it. Correct. And, you know, we don't know at that 70-day mark on whether or not the test that we have is really identifying yeah. THC or identifying anandamide and 2-AG, the two cannabinoids that we make ourselves. Yes. We really don't know that. Now, the starting to say, no, you're wrong. We are identifying that mountain. No, you don't know that for a fact. The test that we have can't distinguish past the 40-day mark whether or not it is your own endocannabinoid or a cannabinoid that was processed through your liver by that came from the plant. Yeah. So what are we really testing for? I, I think, you know, you know, hopefully, I don't know. I, I, I've been, been, been one who has said, I think this industry needs a real quick wake-up call. And the entire industry needs a wake-up call. Even, you know, in, at conferences like this, we're preaching to the choir because most people that are here are people who support. Yeah. But this choir doesn't understand that we haven't even ended the revolution yet. Correct. When I when I spoke here yesterday, uh, <laughs> I made them all take an oath. Raise your right hand. I couldn't help it. I used to be a judge. Raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear you will educate at least two people in the next month about the science-based, medical-based benefits of cannabis? And that's the key. You said it. I've said it. Education. I, I'll never forget this. We had a seminar out in Destin, and it made the news that an Alabama state trooper pulled over a kid three in the morning. Very dangerous time for an officer to pull over a car. Mm-hmm. He approached the window. The, the young man rolled his window down, and the trooper had his hand over his service weapon. And he said, uh, when he rolled his window down, 
I smelled a strong odor of marijuana, so I was fearful for my life, so I pulled my service weapon, which discharged into the temple of the kid killing him. <laughs> and I said to some friends of mine who are also educators and advocates, my God, nobody gets violent when they're high on cannabis. We need to educate law enforcement as well. Well, you know, one of the things that's so interesting about you saying that is that even the person who was really the 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 you know, biggest advocate and proponent for illegal, for making illegal cannabis ancillary. Before he got on the cannabis bandwagon, he was a prohibitionist for alcohol and was known to speak on cannabis while he was a prohibitionist, a prohibitionist for alcohol, stating that cannabis was less violent and probably a nonviolent drug. And actually suggested that as an alternative to alcohol. It wasn't until he lost his job for alcohol that he decided to pick, you know, they, they selected him and said, go after cannabis instead, that he all of a sudden started vilifying cannabis. Yeah. But before that, he was a supporter and understanding that, you know, I, I, I often used to say, it, you know, you haven't seen a liquor store get, get robbed by a bunch of people hiring marijuana. They uh, just don't. Or cannabis. And and you know, you know, they probably spend a lot more time thinking about it. <laughs> no, but, but, but they're not going out to rob a person. They're not going out to fight. You don't see people, you know, in, 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 uh, cannabis uh, uh, shops or coffee shops in Canada or in uh, uh, in Amsterdam getting in brawls and fights. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. I, I challenge you to go find me a law enforcement officer that's been called out on domestic violence called where the man and woman been smoking a joint. Uh, it's almost always alcohol. Right. But not, right. not cannabis. Right. Well, you know, apart from your seminars and apart from doing those right now, what are you what are you planning to do in this cannabis space? You're doing seminars. What else? And now you have your own brand of CBD, too. Uh, we have uh, a website, RethinkGreen.org, and, and we do market CBD products there. Everything from capsules to tinctures to lip balm and pain creams, uh, patches. Uh, but... That's kind of, for me at least, uh, probably for my wife, it, it's a business. Uh, but for me, it's an, an educational process. Uh, but we, it's just mushroom. We've got five, 600 customers now that order their CBD through us. Uh, I educate my wife markets. And uh, we're going to continue. I, I had a heart event last summer. So we kind of uh, pushed the pause button for about five months, but we're fine now. We're back at it. We're going to do seminars all over the state and I'll go anywhere. I spoke out at the Emerald Cup in California last year. Uh, University of British Columbia spoke there and uh, I'll go anywhere that's People will listen so that we can educate. I would bet you, as a former judge, there's a lot of people would listen, would like to listen to what you have to say. Well, it's it's. Kind of, uh, I'll be honest with you. Some days it's a blessing. Some days it's a curse. Sure, I can uh, It's a compelling story. Uh, when I went in front of the legislature here in Florida, when they were trying to implement a 90-day waiting period. When you get your card, you're going to have to wait 90 days to get your medicine. And I, a good friend of mine who's speaking here, Dr. Joseph Rosado. Yeah, what, a, what value is that? I yeah. have no value other than to try to stifle people from getting their card. But I was at a seminar and Dr. Joe Rosado was sitting next to me and he started to cry. I said, what's wrong, Doc? We well, had a patient die on day 84. Well. So I went in front of the legislature and 
frankly called them murderers to their face. And you know what? I got death threats after that wow. from both sides. And whenever and, and that video got pirated and it's on YouTube uh, where I did that. And I got people calling me all kinds of names on Facebook and in emails, et cetera, uh, because I put people in jail for a plant, you know. So some days it's a curse, but then like uh, day before yesterday, I got an email from the wife of a contractor who said, thank you, thank you, thank you. My husband slept like a baby for the first time in 40 years, mm -hmm. or uh, my husband's cancer is gone. It's a miracle. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It, so we'll keep doing it. It's just, it's a roller coaster ride. Uh, educate, educate, educate. Just keep on educating until they put me in the ground. And you know, if people want to get more information, can they go up on Doug at RethinkGreen.org? Is that the best place? That's my email. They can go to our website, RethinkGreen.org. But we also have a Facebook page called You Can Rethink Green. If they'll go like that, they'll get a notice every time my wife posts a research study there, and she is a prolific researcher, and there's probably 300 research studies posted on that page. Don't sit down to read that page. You you won't get up for two or three months. There you go. Well, you know, that's, that's the one thing that, that, that must, it must shock you as much as it shocks me when, you know, you talk to, again, we're at a conference here where the majority of the doctors that are here are supportive and understand that we need to get together and figure out this out. But, you know, does it not shock you when you, you talk to another doctor and the doctor says, well, when, when they do the, it's just like a couple of the presidential candidates who said, well, you know, there needs to be more research. How much more research do you need <laughs> that is so insane i mean and especially when they don't even understand that there's been research been done on cannabis for now close to 70 years it's just not the traditional research that we're familiar with well, but some of that research is traditional because again if you go to the, uh, the the freedom of information act and demand all the research studies that have come out of the university of mississippi which is a federally funded research project that has been now funded for well over 40 years yep wait a minute we're at 20 no well over now 50 years mm -hmm. it's been funded by your taxpayer dollars so you know you out there listening you have a right to this information I, I it blows my mind when I have a credible doctor look me in the face and say we need to do more research. <laughs> I, I I I'm completely baffled. I, I sometimes want to just reach out and say, well, how stupid are you? You claim that you're a doctor. If you're a doctor, then just do the research. That's or research the research that's already been done. Educate, educate. 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 Well, that's the key for no ifs, ands, buts. Educate, educate. Well, I can't say thank you enough for former judge. Doug Bench for being here with us. And if you want to get more information about Doug, all you have to do is go up on Doug at RethinkGreen.org or RethinkGreen.org itself. And you can find out a little bit more about what he's doing and his advocacy. Find out where he's speaking next time, right? Yes. You can find yeah. that out that. And I think it, it, it's a compelling story that you need to get out and listen to. And I'm telling you, we've been so excited that we've been able to come to you today from the Florida Medical Cannabis Conference in Orlando, Florida. I'm Mato Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt. And make sure that you sign up for our, our podcast right down here in the corner, right there. Just sign up. If you click on and you register. Then you can you can make sure that you then will become a register and then write us a review. You will qualify for possibly winning one of our many magic butter makers. Absolutely. Thanks, my friend. All right. Now, it's been good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Monta Williams, let's be blunt. Tune in next time. 
Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday. Yes. 